Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Before we begin a new series, we have some in-between weeks where I don't do a series, and I like to go to Galatians 5, 22, and I like to look at the fruits of the Spirit that God's trying to produce in us by His Spirit, that the Father wants to produce in us by His Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and this is what God wants to produce in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We're going to look at faithfulness this week, gentleness and self-control. That's where God wants us to be. And when I wrote this, I thought about Ben Franklin, because Ben Franklin had um, 14 virtues that kind of resemble all of these. So the, 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 these embody, these five or six embody the 14 virtues of Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin really wanted to be perfect. And I want to tell you a little bit about that in just a minute, but um, he was not a Christian. Ben Franklin was a deist. He believed in a creating God who created everything. And he believed that God created certain laws that govern the whole creation and that God kind of split. He took off and left creation to be governed by his laws. In other words, God was not a personal God for Ben Franklin. And he certainly didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ because then God would be a very personal God. But he worked on these 14 virtues, seeking real perfection. And he worked on one a week. He had this grid, and that's in this book, The Art of Virtue. This is a, fat, a fascinating book, The Art of Virtue by Ben Franklin. I was going to quote it, but I won't. I'll just tell you. He made this grid, and he put you know, left to right, Monday through Friday, and top to bottom, all of his 14 virtues. And every time, every time he, he, and he'd go back and he'd examine his life and see where he just went away from every one of these virtues. And every time he sinned, he didn't call it sin. He called it a weakness or a mistake. He'd put a little black dot in his grid. And the whole purpose of his life was try to try and eliminate all those black dots. Now, that's not a bad goal, to try and be as perfect as we can in one lifetime, but he was trying to do it in his own strength. And I thought to myself, you know, he had to be the most frustrated guy in the world. I mean, he wanted perfection, all the dots in his grid eliminated, but he couldn't achieve it in his own strength, see? And the deal is, try as we hard to be what God wants us to be to attain to these goals. If you try it in your own strength, you are going to be forever frustrated. That's why the Word of God says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is. See, we submit to the Spirit in this whole thing. You go before the Father and you say, I can't, but by your Spirit working in me, I can really do these things. I can become this. I can become patient. I can have real peace, true love, joy, patience, faithfulness. I can be good according to your standards. I can have self-control. I can be gentle. And the Spirit works that in our hearts. Now, I want to tell you how the Spirit works. How does the Spirit produce this stuff in you? You've got to have your nose in this. You do. Because here's what the Spirit does in the Word of God. When you need... Listen, listen. The Spirit of God will... Um, as you read, study, and digest the Word of God, and you should do that daily in your own personal devotions. You do it here, you do it in small groups, neighborhood Bible study, stuff like that. As you, were, as you get yourself into that Word of God, the Spirit of God works it in you. 
He does something with that word. You got to know that. This is how he produces all this stuff that the Father wants you to be. In John 14, 26, the word of God says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And that simply means that as you invest yourself in God's word, the Spirit of God brings principles to your mind. I don't remember chapter and verse. You don't remember chapter and verse from your Bible study all the time. But what happens to me all the time I spend in that Bible, that Word of God, the Spirit of God is developing me. He's developing principles in my heart. And then I face a situation or a life issue, see? And I can't quote, oh, you know, the Bible says this, chapter, verse. No, no, I don't do that. I just know, man. It's in here. It's in my gut. I just know because the Spirit of God has built those principles in me. And how often do you face a life situation And you're looking at this thing and you're saying, wait a minute, hold on, restrain yourself. Something's wrong with this picture. God doesn't want me to be there. Or maybe God does want me to do this or God does want me to be there. See, that's the Holy Spirit working those principles in your heart and changing your life. And the Spirit will also bring the precious gospel to mind. And when I think about Ben Franklin, that's what he didn't have going for him. He wanted to be be perfect. And that should be our goal. And one day we will be in heaven. When he couldn't remove all those dots and be as perfect as he wanted. It kind of drove him up a wall. But see, the gospel says when we blow it and our grid is full of little black dots or sins, we go to God's throne of grace and we hear God the Father say by his Spirit in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. That means to make you pure, make you clean. That need to have that clean feeling to cleanse us, to know we're right with him, we're acceptable to, acceptable to him and ourselves. Why? Because he punished that sin already in the work and person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel, and Ben Franklin didn't have that going for him. And so today we want to think about that fruit of the Spirit's faithfulness, and when we think of faithful, sometimes we think of old, you know. You might say, my dog is a little old and a little ugly, but she's been faithful all these years. Or my car is a little old, a little rusted out, stuff like this, but started all these years, and my, dog, my car has been faithful. Well, why not, instead of use the word old, why not use the word proven? It's a better word. My, my dog has proven reliable. My car has proven reliable. They're dependable. They're always there. They always work. And so as we look at five biblical principles regarding faithfulness, we have to begin with this. Faithfulness begins with wanting to be like God because God is faithful. Because God is faithful, we need to be faithful. Let's look at the faithfulness of God. He can be counted on. When I think of the fact that God can be counted on, I take the most obvious promise of God in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I try to think of other ones, but I said, let me go to the most obvious one. And what's going on here is the serpent is tempting Eve, the woman, and she would tempt her husband, Adam to eat the forbidden fruit, and the temptation was really take the pleasure of the moment, which your eye sees, you know, the pleasure of the moment over obeying God. And so they took the pleasure of the moment over obeying God, and then God spoke to the serpent and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity is, is, is lasting strife. I will put this lasting strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. The King James says between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head, and you will strike or bruise, the King James says, his heel. Now, 2,000 years later, and this is so neat, the ultimate offspring or seed of the woman came, Jesus Christ. And yes, Satan did strike or bruise his heel because he died and lay in the tomb for three days and three nights. But he did come back, just like the promise said, and crushed the head of Satan when he rose from the grave. And that promise took 2,000 years to fulfill. 
All I'm saying is God was faithful to his promise and God sent him. God has never made a promise in his word he doesn't keep. Let's go back to paradigms, man. You've got to think like that. And the Bible promises, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 2, that God's Messiah, Savior, will one day rule the world and teach all people from Jerusalem. And there will be no war during this period of 1,000 years. It will be a time of perfect peace where the lion lies down with the lamb and all that stuff and all those prophecies. Man, I trust that. I believe that. I, I, I can preach that. I can hold that out. I can hold that hope out to you. And the reason is because God's faithful. I know that's going to happen. He would, I mean, if he didn't say it, he would, I mean, if he didn't keep that promise, he wouldn't be God. I'm going to go back to 1 John 1, 9. God tells me that no matter how great my sin, and this is a promise, no matter how that sin stains my, stains my soul, no matter how guilty I feel, or you feel when you confess those sins, and you trust that God put them in Jesus Christ and he willingly laid down his life for them, they are forgiven. And once they're forgiven, I know and I believe God forgives them, I can forgive myself. And when I can forgive myself, I can go on, on, on with my life with confidence and joy. And when God tells me in Romans 8, 28, all things will work together for good to you and me who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, I believe that and I expect that. And I'll tell you something else, I can expect that in the worst scenario of my life, that God will use that worst scenario of my life to one day bless me because he made that promise in Romans 8, 28. All things really do work together for good, for good to those who love God. He made that promise and he can't go back on that promise because he's a faithful God. And, and see, now the second thing, that leads to the second deal, the second point, because God is faithful. Guess what? I need to be faithful too. My word has to be good. When you and I give our word... And I think we're losing the grip on this today. Our word has to be sacred. It has to be sacred. Today we kind of wiggle out of it. I look at um, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse, where is it, 34. In Matthew 5, 34, it says, Yeah, Jesus says, But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black or white, Simply let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And I like this. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. When your yes is not yes and your no is not no and your word is not kept, that comes right from the pit of hell. I think that's kind of interesting that the Lord said that. See, the religious teachers would say, Oh, I swear by heaven. And that sounded so good. I swear by heaven or I swear by earth or I swear by the hairs on my head. And you know what Jesus said? He said, don't swear by anything. You shouldn't have to take an oath. You shouldn't have to say, I swear at all. He said, your word should be good enough. You make a commitment, you make a promise, that should be good enough. That's what he meant when he said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. I mean, if you can't follow through on it, no, you can't follow through on it, then say no. But once you say yes, let your yes be yes, follow through. I mean, this is huge, this is big. I mean, if you're overcommitted, say no. I mean, Jesus said no when he had to. But the thing you got to know is the Bible records many more yeses than it does no's. And I like to put it like this. When I say yes, I mean, I'm always tempted to say no because there's so much on our plates. But I think about this. When I, when I say no, I miss the adventure of life. And when I say yes, I catch the adventure of life. When I say no, I admit the adventure of life. When I say yes, I catch the adventure of life. And by that I mean when I say yes, and I'm, open, I'm just opening myself up to relationships, you know, people. 
experiences, opportunities, ways to serve the Lord by serving people. I mean, just think about this. When you say yes, you may meet your husband or wife. When you open yourself up to opportunity, I mean, when you say yes, you open yourself up to opportunities. But when you do say yes, folks, here's the big deal. Let your yes be yes. I mean, let's say you call into work and you make some excuse or you tell some lie. I mean, an excuse is a lie. Come on, I'm sick. Oh, I don't feel good. You just don't feel like going in. That's the truth. I mean, what have you just done? Somebody else has to do your work. Somebody else has to do their own work. And so people don't get the, 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 the service they should get. Just because, just because you didn't feel like going in. Now, I'm not saying you in particular. I mean, this is kind of a blanket application to our generation. There's lots of people like that. It's irresponsibility. I think about dads who won't pay child support. I think about more and more people who just receive somebody's goods and somebody's services, and then they go ahead and file bankruptcy. There's something wrong with that picture, man, I'll tell you. I mean, God, I mean, Proverbs is God's word. I mean, God wrote this. I didn't write this. Proverbs 25, 19. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble. Listen, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like, like a bad tooth or a toothache or like a foot out of joint or a sprained ankle. So a person who says yes and doesn't keep his or her word is like, I didn't write this, a bad toothache or a sprained ankle. I mean, you have to write the script here, folks. Can people to whom you have promised or committed something, can they count on you? I mean, all my years in ministry, over 40 years, I've been involved with volunteer people who say yes because they truly love the Lord and they want to do something big or small to move the kingdom of God. And when somebody says, yes, I'll take this responsibility, and I know they'll do it, and I can relax in that. I can't tell you that is beyond words. But when you say yes, people do count on you. And they can really relax in that. Can you see how, how it just disrupts somebody's life when you say yes, and then you try and squirm or wiggle out of it? Your, listen, your word has to be, your word has to be sacred. It's got to be sacred. You know, I go to James, it's in James chapter 5 somewhere, it says, above all, honor your word. Above all, above all these other virtues, honor your word. All right, thirdly, third area of faithfulness, you know, be faithful to your marriage. Just be faithful to your marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage is honorable among all men and the marriage bed undefiled. One more time, marriage is honorable among all men and the marriage bed undefiled. To break that down, be faithful. Be faithful to your spouse. And five years ago, I think I was talking primarily to guys, but you know, not anymore. I'm talking to guys and ladies. I mean, be faithful. This is intrinsic in me. It should be in each of you. I mean, I should be able to go to a conference. I should be able to go away for a couple of days. And, and my wife should never, ever, ever, ever have to concern herself that I'm messing around with someone else or making overtures toward another lady or flirting or something like that. When we took our vows of being one flesh, from that point on, we were sealed to and for each other. And sometimes, yes, we disappoint each other, and sometimes we neglect each other, and sometimes we aggravate each other. But I'll tell you something. On the bottom of her list of her concerns of life should be my commitment to her. That should be the very bottom. She should be able to trust that. I know a guy, um, this was a few years ago, who worked for um, Mike Illich 
and he worked for the Tigers. As a matter of fact, he was the clubhouse manager the first year that the Tigers were at Comerica. And he told me this story. He told me about a very famous pitcher who at that time pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's not a Tiger, I mean, but if you're a sports fan, you would know that guy. You'd know that name. And he told me how this guy would come into town, come into Detroit, and you'd get a hotel room under another name. He'd have a hotel room under another name and a hotel key, and the girls would come to him after the game, and he'd give them that phony name and tell them his room number and say, meet me at such and such a time. And so he saw this. I remember one time the Chicago Cubs were in town, and Sammy Sosa played for the Cubs, and he was in a hot race with, I think, Mark McGuire for the home run lead. And the same girls came to Sammy Sosa after he had knocked out a couple home runs and stuff like that. And, and he spoke a very broken English. But this guy told me how he kept pointing to his wedding ring and, and saying in broken English, I honor that. I respect that. Now, I don't know if Sammy Sosa is a Christian or not, but he says, I honor that. I respect that. And your spouse should have that very same confidence in your faithfulness. I mean, back to Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable among all men and the marriage bed undefiled. Let's um, look at using our gifts faithfully. And this goes back to Psalm 139, and this is verse 14. And maybe you remember this, Psalm 139, 14, David says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, you trace that Hebrew word fearfully, it really means uniquely or one of a kind. And so when David says, I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, he says, you made me like no other creation. In short, he's saying that the word of God is saying there is nobody like you. Out of all the people God ever created, you are the only one like you. We don't think about that. You know, we don't think about that enough. All of life is almost a paradigm. It's how we think. You know, God, you know, God's given you and me gifts and talents that nobody else has. I mean, he's given you a gift and talent mix. How many people have lived? How many people has God created? Man, out of all the people ever created, you have just the right mix of gifts. And that, that, a gift is something you get after you come to faith. But talents, gifts, personality... Nobody exactly like you. You are that unique and that special to God. And this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. God inspired Paul to write this. Paul wrote, I have received a stewardship. A stewardship given to me, listen, by the grace of God for you. So I ask myself, then what is a stewardship or what is a steward? In the word of God, well, a steward is a manager. And so God gives us everything, and some people have a hard time with that, we'll talk more about that next week, but God gives us everything, and how we manage what God gives us, which is everything, is stewardship. And so all, if, if God gives you everything, that means you're a steward in every aspect of your life. All of life is stewardship. What we do with our gifts, we are accountable to God for what you do with your gifts and talents. It's a stewardship. Are we faithful stewards? And when Paul wrote this, the deal is that he didn't have all the gifts and all the talents, but he writes to the Ephesian church and he says, God's given me certain gifts, not all of them, to somehow bless you in this place. God gave me what I need to bless you in this place. I don't have all the gifts. Paul wasn't expected to be everywhere and have all the talents. But God did place him in that place to use those gifts 
faithfully and to his glory. And you know, that speaks volumes to me because, and I, I think it speaks to some of you too, because we put so much pressure on ourselves because we think we have to do it all. And God gave you certain gifts to use in certain circumstances, and he will equip you. I just look at, see, I look at Matthew 25, and a lot of you know this parable. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 15, again, it, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey. And the man called his servants, and I like this, he entrusted his property to them. A gift is an entrustment by God, see? And to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. I, I like that. So, so See, i got to look at that. And that answers a lot of questions in my mind, because a lot of times I feel inadequate, and I'm sure you do too. But you know, God gave five to some, two to others, and one to others. And some people say, well, you know, I'm not cutting it where I am, so uh, I guess I'm the person with one talent. We blame God because he didn't give me five talents. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, God gave you what you need for what he's called you to. And if you are faithful, God will bless and multiply that talent. And I need to learn that, and you need to learn that. I mean, if, if you give God whatever talent or gift he's given you, you will see, I promise you, you will see multiplication. You will see results in your personal life, in your home, in your job. I mean, the guy with five and the guy with two talents used him to the max. And what did God say? We're talking about faithfulness. Well done, you good. King James, thou good and what? Faithful servant. And what did he say in verse 26 of Matthew, um, Matthew 25 to the, to, the guy, to, the, to, to the one guy who had one talent and buried his talent? He said, you wicked and lazy, lazy servant. See, this is, this is, this is so huge to me. We've got to quit saying, I'm not equipped to handle this. God, you led me into this, but, but I'm not equipped. God would never do that. He would never do that. You give God the talents you have. I'm learning this. And if it's one, you give him your one. If it's five, you give him your five. If it's two, you give him your two. And God's going to use those talents, and he's going to multiply them, and he's going to bless them. As a matter of fact, you have a job. I think the best place to use those talents and gifts is your job. Because I look at Colossians 3, verse 23. He's talking about employees here. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. You know what it means to work with all your heart it means to trust God has you in that place, in that circumstance, because he wants you there. And while you're there, regardless of who your boss is, regardless of how much they're paying you, give 200% and use your gifts. Maximize those gifts and quit saying, oh, if I only had this job, if I only had this job, if I only were here, if I only were there, all those if-onlys, you know, cut those if-onlys and give God your heart. Give him your very best where you are. Listen, faithfulness depends on what you do with what we have, not what we don't have. God knows how he made us. He knows what he put into us. And, and get this now, he does not expect you to produce where he has not gifted you. That is such a hard lesson. Such a broad topic, this topic of faithfulness. But I want to just touch on about, about being a faithful friend. What kind of a friend are you? Can your friends count on you? You know, God has so much to say about friendship, especially in the book of Proverbs. 
I look at Proverbs 17, 17. This is just one of many verses. The Word of God says, A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And I like this, and a brother is born in adversity. It means when adversity comes, the one who is faithful and stands with you and won't skate, you know, won't run, won't dismiss himself or herself from the situation is not a true friend. You will know who your friends are in adversity. They will come to your side and they will stay, they will be like a brother or sister. They will stay through the whole deal with you. Well, let me just read something that um, somebody sent me. Simple versus real, friend. A simple friend doesn't know your parent's first name. A real, a real friend has their numbers in his or her address book. A simple friend will come to your party and bring a dish to pass. A real friend will come early and help you cook and stay late to help you clean. A simple friend seeks to talk with you about your problems. A real friend seeks to help you with your problems. A simple friend thinks the friendship is over when you have an argument. A real friend knows it's not a friendship until you had a fight. A simple friend expects you to always be there for them. A real friend expects to always be there for you. Are you a faithful friend? Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.